0: Have a crack. is, yes, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Wonderful run from
1: 90s Football Hall of Fame Show, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm Steve McGovern and I'll be leading the line for this episode. I'm joined by first team regular Peter Henry. How are you, Peter? Good evening, lads. And we're also joined by super superstar Anthony Kelly. How's it going, Ant?
2: All right, lads. How are we doing?
1: Oh, not too bad. Probably better than you by the sounds of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, a bit under the weather today, lads, but a couple of ibu, I'll power through. Be fine.
1: That's it. You're one of those, you, you like to power through on the match day. You know, you don't want to stay and just be a be a spectator and that's what we like in you and that's why you're hey, on James the team <laughs> yeah exactly Well, bad example because he, he didn't play this week but anyway <laughs>
2: yeah yeah it's true actually Yeah, good bad example
1: <laughs> uh, right well every week we induct a new member into the 90s football hall of fame and this week's inductee has the exact same hairstyle now as he did when he played
0: Darren Anderton
3: Oh, Anderton That's fantastic England Warren Neal What a good looking ball?
1: We are indeed talking about Darren Anderson, the Spurs legend who played for almost 18 years in the game. Uh, Peter, how would you rate his his hairstyle overall?
0: Well, if it's not broken, don't fix it, Steve. You know, fair play to him; he's been rocking. Probably going to the same barber for the last 25 years uh, or whatever. But the kind of curtains hairstyle is is a very has a very 90s feel about it. And yeah, he he just doesn't want to let go. So I commend Darren for that.
1: He's one of those players I always saw in premier league sticker albums like there was always a lot of swaps of darren anderson for some reason i uh, just everybody had like three of him in their collection and you just now over the years usually when you see like panini stickers over the years of players or or the merlin stickers it's like you can see the development but with darren Anderson, it's like the same it's like i'm convinced they use the same photo every year what about you Ant? how, how would you rate his, his hairstyle do you think he, he got it right or maybe you want to see a bit more di- you know bit of a change up every now and again
2: <laughs> no no I, I admire a footballer who uh doesn't doesn't mess around with his uh, you know you, football first haircut second is my uh my motto but is uh is curtain hairstyle was very um very backstreet boys take that one it so suppose it was quite fitting for the 90s like
1: well he started out his career at uh, portsmouth in 1990 and stayed there for two years and he, he started out as a striker peter and and then kind of later transformed into a, a winger um, and an attacking midfielder. Was that kind of like his natural position?
0: Yeah, I think, like, we did a pod about the best 90s wingers recently. We all picked, you know, our five favourites. And Anderton was a little bit different in the fact he wasn't, he could beat a man, but that wasn't what his game was, was all about. He, he was fast. He was six foot wing, six foot one, very, very tall for, for a winger. So he used to kind of, with the long legs, he used to eat up the ground, uh, you know, down the flank, but he wasn't that old-fashioned, you know, 90s winger, head down, beat your man on the outside, get the cross in. It's hard to get away from the, the comparison with, with David Beckham, the man he kind of competed with for, for that right midfield-slash-wing berth um, in the England setup up in, in the mid-90s. Anderton didn't really... he His game was more about the quality he had on the ball, Steve. So his ability to, to play passes into teammates... Uh, to to play off teammates, and he he was a brilliant crosser of the ball, brilliant kind of medium to long range passer as well. So very much like Beckham, he didn't necessarily need to beat the fullback you know, All he needed was kind of a yard of space to to get that get that cross in. And you know he he was he was one of of the best at that, along with Beckham during that period. And. You look at the managers that, you know, Terry Venables had him in his Euro 96 squad. Glenn Hoddle picked him above Beckham in 1998. In Despite this kind of, which I must be honest, I'm quite guilty of as well, this really unfair perception of him as Darren Sicknote Anderton. That's, you know, he was labelled Sicknote by the media. But he's actually, you know, 299 appearances for Spurs, kind of average almost 30 games a season over his time there. and. It's just really unfair that everyone remembers remembers him as as this kind of player who was was constantly injured. So because he had so much so much quality, um, and I must be get, honest, I, I I found it really shocking when I found out he is actually Spurs record appearance pay, uh, maker. Because that kind of sick note reputation had had seeped into my unconscious. I'd almost thought of this guy who had loads of quality but was invariably kind of always out injured. But when you look back at his record and you, like you said an 18 year career you know almost 600 appearances it, it, it's just not true you know
1: yeah I think we might get into that maybe the, the injuries and, and that kind of stuff maybe a bit bit later but and I want to ask you first about like kind of his, his greatest qualities as a player because like I said he started out as a striker became that kind of winger slash attacking kind of midfielder and you can kind of see it in his game because obviously he has great crossing and but he also mixes it with, you know, real knack for for finding the goal from range. So, what do you make of like his greatest qualities in that sense?
2: He was a very intelligent footballer, Anderson. That was one of the things that always, um, you know, sort of stood out to me when I was watching a, watching a game. Like some of the positions he'd pop up in, and you know, you mentioned that he was a striker in his younger days. That that kind of showed because um, he, he formed a very good partnership with Teddy Sheringham at, at Spurs, and the the two of them would. would have very sort of instinctive play together, um, you know, using each other as a pivot. There's a very famous goal he scored, um, Anderson scored against Sheffield Wednesday, where he plays a lovely one too with with Sheringham. He he, he he takes he takes the finish really well, and for a guy who didn't really score a load of goals, uh, he wasn't prolific. Uh, he did have a lovely um, composure in front of goal, so I think that there was, there was that, and a combination of his intelligence, um, as Pete says, he he was. Sort of oddly dovetailed as some sort of like right winger who was forever sort of competing with David Beckham, but he had he definitely had more to his game than that. Um, you know, there, there was a reason why uh why Hoddle picked him above Beckham at the start of France 98. He actually thought um his overall play on the wing was a bit better than Beckham's as well. So uh, I think Hoddle's perception of him was that he, he offered more in defense in terms of tracking back. That this was a guy who clearly you know was aware of his responsibilities on the pitch. And on top of his good distribution as well, I mean, you know, he has got lovely sort of scrapbook of goals to do it. was an absolute screamer. He scored against Leeds with Nigel Martin in goal, um, but he sort of hits it. And if you look at the goal, you think he's absolutely kited that, but you, you see the replay and he's hit it with lovely sort of curve and it sort of bends away from Martin as he's diving. And the, the the sort of precision, um, he hits it with. It doesn't fly into the top corner. It's kind of like a nice height for the goalkeeper, but the bend of the shot takes it away from Martin. It was a very very good goalkeeper himself, and you know, they, again, that those sort of little bits and pieces he added to the game just shows you what kind of a wonderfully intelligent guy he was. And I think as as well, he was kind of a victim of being maybe like a, an unfashionable player at the time as well, as as Pete says, the the sick note sort of nickname. Never left him really, and you know he 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 got 30 England caps and probably could have got a few more um, had competition not have been so sort of rich at the time. Um, you know it was a very good time for England in terms of quality. The sort of mid uh, to late 90s we had quite a, quite a lot of good players coming through the ranks, all competing with Anderton. So I think you know his reputation maybe has been slightly tarnished, but um, if you ever get a chance to watch him as a footballer, he was he was outstanding, very intelligent, very gifted.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say about the, the link-up with, with Sheringham. And, you know, he was part of the Spurs team, you know, with that, fa- what was it, the the nickname for the famous front five or something with Nicky Barmby, Petrescu, Barmbi. or Demetrescu, yeah. Klinsman, Sheringham. But one, I think on previous pods we've talked about, you know, the volley off the crossbars called the Yaboa or the Klinsman dive. There was one thing I always remember about Anderton as well. Do you remember the Sheringham corner? That kind of move where... And we used to even do it when we played football when we were younger. It was called the, the Sheringham corner. And that all the men would move up. to the back. Sheringham would run around the fr- to the front post. And it kind of get crossed into, not the near post, but kind of towards the penalty spot. And Sheringham w- would kind of would meet it and, and pass it into the net. Well, shoot into the net. But a side-footed finish. Because the ball yeah. it would be a low corner coming in, essentially. But all the men had been pulled to the back post. And it was Anderton and Sher- Sheringham that actually linked up for that. But I always remember, you know, that was the Sheringham corner. You could even, even if you were playing with a fella, you'd, you'd never, you know, it was your first time playing with them. And you were taking the corner. You could say, you could say, go Sheringham on this. And you'd you'd pull it into that area for him, you know. So, um, too, like you said, he was intelligent. And Terry, Teddy Sheringham was such an intelligent footballer as well. So, uh, yeah, that's you, can, you can see why they linked up so well.
1: We've been talking for about 10 minutes now, lads. And we are yet to mention his famous post-to-post goal versus Sweden for England, which is one of the most spectacular England goals probably of all time. So really, more famous for going this long, t- ten whole minutes, and not mentioning it because it really was something else, Peter.
0: Yeah, and no, with, with his left peg as well, which he wouldn't, I don't think, have been particularly particularly strong with. You know, um, a half volley with, with his left after being laid off, and absolutely. Absolutely smashing goal. Um, he, he did like he he. Anne said as Ann said he had thirty caps for England. He scored seven goals. For you know, not an out and out attacking player. That's that's a real really reasonable record. There's a lot of kind of top class nineties strikers that that would have a similar if if not worse record for England. So um, yeah, he 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 never let England down. He also sport, scored a, a cracker in, and he he kind of puts it as one of the highlights of his career. It would have been the 98 World Cup against yeah, it was. from a really tight angle he, he, he volleys it kind of right into the roof of the net it's it, it's a smashing uh finish but kind of just all leads back Steve, to you know as you were saying the kind of very good you know long-range shooting and as me and ant were saying as well you know you, you need to be a technically good footballer to uh to strike the ball the way the way he did i think I'll be honest, I think the Sweden one was, was a bit of a swinger. Looks great, but a bit of a swinger. But uh, <laughs> the likes of, yeah, that one that, Anderton, that Ants uh, described against Leeds where he kind of fades it into the top corner from about 35 yards out from a, from a standing start. For me, that's, that's real. The showcase is Darren Anderton at his absolute best, you know.
1: Yeah, and he he showed his best for Spurs after moving there in 1992, and that attracted the uh, attention of Manchester United. And just this past January, he said he regretted not moving there. Uh, Peter, I mean, a lot of players that we've we've mentioned on the pod could have gone to United at some point over the last, you know, however long. Was he the best that got away?
0: Well no I don't think so because David Beckham slotted into that right midfield position so no I don't think so uh, at all But they, just I,
1: in terms of a talent level and ability you think of all those players who you know we've mentioned them before like you know there was there was a lot of players that could have gone to United was he maybe the best that they could have gotten forgetting the other players they had of course but you know was he would have been right up there surely
0: I would have been happy if we had assigned him he, he was a very good player but you know, there's them stories about Alan Alan Sugar United were going to meet his his buyout clause of over four million, and that was kind of the end of the '95 '96 season, as as we covered on the Klinsman pod. Klinsman was leaving, Petrescu was leaving, Barn Barnby was leaving, and yeah, like Sugar didn't want to get rid of of you know his star asset in in Anderson when all these other big players were leaving, and there was. You know the the story kind of goes. Sh- Sugar locked him in his house, in the house, and 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 made him sign this new contract. But I've actually seen Anderton st- uh, say since that that was the year that United were selling Ince and Hughes and Konchelskis. So Ferguson actually wanted him to replace Konchelskis, another player we've covered actually. And Anderton kind of said he actually wasn't too pushed on the move because he was happy at Spurs. The fans were good to him, and he felt that. United might struggle struggle after selling those players. So, you know, I think sometimes in the media it's perceived that he wasn't allowed left Spurs, but leave Spurs at the time, but it was kind of his choice as well. But really, Steve, I, honestly, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think back as Darren Anderton as a player. Oh, I wish Man United had assigned him because you know you look like you just look what they what they won. I don't think he would have offered too much different. I think. Beckham basically played the position that he would have came in for. Very similar players. I think the dynamic of having Beckham in there with the other, you know, members of the class of '92 probably helped the team overall. So no, I don't. As good as I really rated Darren Anderton, think he was a good player, but I I wouldn't really be too regretful that he didn't move to Man United.
1: Well, he was key part of the team in Euro '96, and uh, he almost. Became a hero, and he was, you might say, centimeters from kind of having an, a life altering moment in the semi final against Germany.
2: This is what I mean about what I was saying earlier about him being a bit of a, a almost like a victim of circumstance to a degree because he was, he was very nearly, as you say, an absolute icon for the national team. I mean, had that shot gone in uh, in the semi finals, a really good hit as well. Very unlucky. Um, Had it not have got had it got crept in, um, we'd have beaten Jeremy with the golden goal, he'd have been an absolute hero. And I always say the momentum behind the national team at that particular point, very, very good sort of feel-good feeling in England at the time. You know, football's coming home. And I always say the Euro 96 squad that we had was our last full, complete squad as a national team in terms of like top to bottom, good, really strong players all the way through it. I think he would have won that tournament had they beaten Germany, they would have beaten Czech Republic in the final. And I think Anderson would have been forever an icon, you know, right up there with um, the likes of, um, you know, Jeff Hurst and people like that in terms of his contribution to the national team. It was just very unfortunate for him. Uh, he was actually injured for a lot of that season uh, going into that tournament as well. So he he found form. He referred to Terry Venables as like a second father figure in his life. And I think he just clicked um, in Venables' team pretty well. But his, his injury problems have been uh, plaguing him all season. And he actually had a chance to meet him with England's doctor going into that tournament uh, by all accounts who basically said that his, his injury had been misdiagnosed at Spurs that year. And they got him working with the physio quite closely in the build-up to Euro '96, and he actually got into the team. And you know, despite again there being a plethora of good sort of attacking options, Anderton the was there, and you just feel for him. You know, had that goal had gone in, he'd have had his moments uh, for England. He didn't win much in his career for such a talented player as well. So had he, you know, been a European Championship, been in with the national team, it probably would have been quite a fitting accolade for a player as gifted and as talented as him.
0: Yeah, and he he actually played right wing back in that tournament, and yeah, everybody kind of says that you you read about that that Euro ninety six that you know the togetherness in the squad they all they all love Terry Venables probably the most popular England manager amongst players. Well, I suppose Bobby Robson as well, but like, you know, no one has a bad word, to say, about Terry Venables who played it right. that squad. And he said the highlight of his career was actually in the Holland game because England were 4-0 or 4-1-up with a half an hour to go. And he said, just reverberating around the stadium for the last 30 minutes was the song, It's Coming Home. And he said, even like me and the other players, we were just like... It was like a carnival. We were we were singing the song as we were playing the game. He said it was you know, <laughs> the absolute highlight of his career. But I think, interestingly enough, as well, he 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 had a couple of famous assists in his career because it was him who put the ball through to Gaza. Um, That's right. Yeah, it was. So you know, which obviously iconic celebration, and then. It was him who put it on the head of Klinsman against Sheffield Wednesday on his di- on his debut when Klinsman went and did the dive. So played a played a part in, in kind of two of the most famous goals in the nineties as well.
2: And we've mentioned that sort of Spurs team before, haven't we? When they got to that FA Cup semi final and got absolutely trounced by Everton four one, and didn't, and you know they, they were a very sort of cavalier, entertaining team. And you know I think a lot of people expected them to win that semi final with Everton being in such dire straits at the time. You know, did obviously lost, and you know, Anderton went on to go and lose the semi final year ninety six. I think he only ended up with a League Cup winners medal in his entire career, yeah.
3: um,
2: which is, you know, for again for a part of his ability. Like, you know, it, it really is a shame that he was on the cusp quite a couple of times with some very memorable teams. Yeah,
0: didn't Ardila, quite get over the line. Ardiles, he said that with Ardiles were Barnby and Dimitrescu sharing him the players had said to Ardiles, Look, like we need some kind of uh, you know, defensive structure or shape here, like for when we don't have the ball. And Ardiles was like, No, no, you, you you's lads are so good, you won't lose the ball, don't worry about that. <laughs> we all know Ardiles didn't last too long in the job, like,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a nice cavalier approach there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
1: where is he in the, the spursiness rankings? Because is he another one of those players who is like really nice to watch and you know obviously very skillful and talented but at the end of the day maybe not consistent enough and so, d- does he fit in with that kind of uh, cliche at all and
2: i don't know it's it's quite hard because as you say Spurs has become the adjective which is just affiliated with that club hasn't it and it's it is quite a damning, uh, damning thing to say about players if they're not consistent. And you know, at the moment, at that exact moment, when it comes to the crunch, they haven't really got the belly for the fight. And I think that's quite harsh on Anderton. as Pete was saying before about his injuries and this sort of this um, stick that was used to beat him within the press. about sick notes, and he was constantly compared to Beckham. And you know, he probably had to go through quite a bit there. You know, and he he was going through some quite bad injuries early on, as I said before. Spurs misdiagnosed his injuries quite badly, uh, for quite a significant chunk of his early time at White Hart Lane. There's, a video, there's an interview with him. It's kind of like a, an evening with one of those sort of after-dinner-speaking events. And he's, he goes into quite a lot of detail about how the the, the club was sort of misdiagnosing it. Uh, they weren't being exactly straight with him. The recovery plans probably weren't that great, and, you know, especially in comparison to now. So, you know, for, to go through all of that and then still come out at the other end of it and still be such a consistently, you know, Good player and around some very good England teams, um, you know, to be rated by so many people. Manchester United were clearly very intent on getting him. Alan Sugar locked him in the house so he wouldn't leave. You know, this was clearly a guy who it was a quality player. Perhaps that some players around him weren't quite sort of there because Spurs were so erratic in the nineties. Well, you know, you didn't never know what you were going to get with them. You know, I, I remember Spurs being. Right down in the sort of doldrums at times um, during Anderson's time there. And then at other times they were wonderfully cavalier and attacking and really easy on the eye team. So it is kind of hard to gauge where Anderson comes on that sort of uh, metric. I wouldn't say he was like an inconsistent sort of you no know, belly for the fight type player. I'd say he was definitely determined and definitely, you know, a, a great pro of a great attitude to the game. He was playing until 2008 we with a Bournemouth, you know, so this was a guy who wanted to extend his career and play for as long as he could. So yeah, I think he does deserve quite a bit of respect. To be fair to him,
0: lads, I kind of want to like ask your opinions on something because it was it really came into my mind when I was reading back and looking at Anderson's career in more detail, and it is, it is kind of linked to this sick sick note thing. And couldn't I just couldn't help? Like I said, it was in my unconscious as well, and I couldn't help think, Jesus, we were so influenced by kind of because we didn't have like it wasn't like you know these days where there's websites so many websites and there's there's social media there's so many there's so many more opinions and like stats are easily available someone would have said actually you know he he plays like 75% of the games every year that's fine and um, whereas before all we really had a lot of the time was the tabloid yeah. the tabloid headline do you, do you think like in the modern day that the whole sick note thing wouldn't have you know grown the legs that it did and morphed into this kind of you know reputation that he's just remembered by because we just would have more information and we would just be able to say actually that's not entirely true it'd be, so, yeah.
1: yeah. be a meme no, we'll, peter. yeah yeah it'd be a meme peter it would be all over twitter and people would would be using it as a stick to beat him with I mean I don't know if you've been on football Twitter these days and all those accounts with their football avi's but like the kind of stuff that they argue about and they're talking about I mean it would 100% be thrown at him although I do think I think I think you do have a a point though just in that sense but I mean in his first five seasons he did play pretty much you know most of the games almost entire seasons in his first uh, five campaigns and then obviously you see then the numbers just all of a sudden drop in 95-96 he played only Eight league games and then in the seasons after it's 16 15 it's not until 98 99 he plays 32 games and even after then that he's playing on average around about 20 games so he is missing significant chunks i mean and do you think that maybe that took so much out of his career that he could have had so much more if it wasn't for those injuries
2: without doubt and you know we we talk about the 90s as if it was you know like Fifty years ago, sometimes, but for people like us who were you know, living through it, does seem like almost like yesterday. But you, you, you forget sometimes that the the sports science and the knowledge probably just wasn't there the way it is now. pete talks about us being heavily influenced by the you know the sort of tabloid narrative at the time, and he, he sort of makes the comparison with modern day, which is which is a very good point to make because in modern times now, like, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about how injury prone a lot of players seem to be, just sort of fairly innocuous challenges. And the players out for six to eight weeks. And I was I, I was sort of having a conversation with him, so I can't remember what it was now, but you probably realize that actually, maybe in the nineties, that six to eight week injury would have only been a four-week injury and he wouldn't have had the recovery time. So they'd have rushed back a player like Anderson, who clearly had groin problems and you know, hip problems, all these sorts of things, knee injuries, probably brought him back six to eight weeks too soon. When he should have been easing him back with a recovery plan and got him in with the physios, got him in with you know the people who were experts and getting players you know sort of acclimatized and conditioned to be ready again. Uh, maybe had he've come ten years later, he would have caught the sort of the wave of that and and benefited from a lot more knowledge at the time. And I certainly think a lot of the the, the way he was poorly managed at Spurs at the time with, with with his sort of track record that he definitely lost something from what he could have contributed, especially as you just say there with that. There was sort of run of, you know, successive seasons where he was quite badly injured. You know, Tony, it's, it's bound to take the, the, the sort of the legs out of you in a little bit. And it is a shame because he had a lot to offer as a player.
0: They, must, they The Spurs physio mustn't had a magic sponge. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, Anderson has, he has since, you know, uh, criticized the kind of physio department in Spurs and said that they just weren't up to it. So I think there might be something in that. And I think in what Peter said there about the, you know, about the coverage of it. And and I think the tabloids had a much bigger say in the in the overall discourse of football back then. So I think probably, you know, they saw a sick note and thought, oh, that's hilarious. Let's, let's use that. Which was coined, by the way, the nickname was coined by um, former Portsmouth goalkeeper Andy Gosney, who I'm sure is delighted to be a footnote in Anderton's Wikipedia page. But <laughs> in 2001, Ant, he was actually linked with the move to Liverpool, which uh, surely would have been the death knell for his career.
2: Oh yeah, without doubt. Yeah, Liverpool's capacity at that time to uh, turn a good player into an absolutely awful player was uh, was quite prevalent. But it was actually there was rumours linking him to Liverpool uh, when he first went to Spurs as well. Apparently, they were quite keen on keen on him uh, joining Liverpool because he played with that Portsmouth team, which ran us very close in an FA Cup semi final. Uh, in 1992 score scored at Anfield Liverpool getting forward there but the ball's cut out by Aspinall for Portsmouth now to Neil here comes Anderton Anderson's in the clear can he finish? Anderton he's scored
3: Portsmouth have scored oh it's Darren Anderton Anderton has scored for Portsmouth Lead Liverpool nil Portsmouth one, nine and a half minutes left, and the second division under dogs are in front.
2: Because he was you know, he was sort of his whole family were based in the south. I think he was sort of humming and horroring over the move, and then Spurs came in for him and he and he opted to go there for you know a big money move at the time and I I I think he, he would have been a very sort of good cultural fit with Liverpool uh, as a footballer even in 2001 you know we we'd lost McManaman we didn't have much width. we weren't the most creative uh, club under Houllier at times and I think having a player like Anderton would have been there uh, would have been quite useful but then again we had so many players who were absolutely horrendous with injuries at that point like Jamie Redknapp and Vladimir Šmajšič and people like that that you know might not have been the most sort of perfect solution having somebody you could uh, only give you 25 games a season at that point.
0: That's kind of his big break, and was, was scoring at Anfield as an 18 year old. But he actually grew up as a Southampton season ticket holder. He used to go to the Dell every week. And quite a funny story that when, when he went to Spurs, obviously, you know, we all know Southampton and Portsmouth, you know, there's no love lost between the two South Coast clubs. And his debut for Spurs was at the Dell against Southampton. And, like, he was getting dogs abused, But he said where he was taking the throw-ins from were right beside where his season ticket was. And, like, he said there was this old guy there who used to give him sweets and stuff when he was growing up. And this lad was calling him all the names under the sun and he was making the debut. Like, so, yeah, football fans, they they never cease to amaze you.
2: <laughs> Lovely bunch, aren't we?
1: <laughs> Anderson stayed at uh, Spurs all the way up until... 2004, so he had a, a long 12-year career at the club, uh, making well over uh, 350 appearances, scoring 48 goals. So not a bad record in the end, especially for a wide player. Uh, he then went on to Birmingham for a season, his, his final season in the Premier League, uh, scored three goals there before going on to Wolves in the Championship. And then after that, in 2006, he moved to Bournemouth for three seasons. And actually, that was the, where he scored his, his first-ever career hat-trick in 2007 in in league one so that then brings Anderson's career to a close in 2008 i didn't realize he played uh, for so long peter i want to ask you was he underrated for the type of player he was the quality that he had or was he actually one of those who was strangely perfectly rated at the time but we just don't talk about it anymore because it was 20 30 years ago
0: Maybe underrated by fans to a certain degree, but like like I said earlier, the fact you know he was keeping Beckham out of the England team. Terry Venables, he played in very different positions under Venables, under Huddle, uh, seen as two of England's best coaches. Huddle definitely in terms of maybe not in terms of his overall record, but a lot of how the players talk about Huddle's ability. You know, Man Fergie wanted to sign him. He was definitely he was definitely a a, a really a a really top player. Like I said, the quality he possessed in his right foot, whether it was shooting or crossing or passing, it was, it was just top drawer. But I don't think he was a very glamorous player, if you know what I mean. And I think that maybe kind of went against him a a little bit. And maybe in terms of people wanting glitz and glamor from their footballers, um, a very, very, I thought, you know, obviously it sounds a bit strange because he was out injured, but like very consistent in, in his performance levels, when he was on the pitch so i think he was i think in the general scheme of how he is remembered i don't think he's remembered enough for his quality as a footballer and sadly he's he's kind of remembered as as this signal character but i would say i'd veer towards slightly underrated but not not i think you know his teammates managers people within the game they knew just how good this guy was too. yeah he
1: did play for england 30 times which you know, nothing to sniff at, although we probably should have had more. Scored seven goals um, and a few of them coming at tournaments as well. Nearly played at the 2002 World Cup, which would have been mad. And interestingly enough, his last five caps came under five different managers. Some of them were obviously kind of caretaker managers, but uh, that's a, a, an amazing stat in itself. What about you, Ant? Do you think he was he was underrated or do you think he was kind of given the credit that he deserved?
2: No, I think it's a good point by Pete. I think if you if you got like a a cross section of footballers who played with him, they'd all you know eulogise about what a clever player he was and what a fantastic player he was. So I think within the game, within peers of the game, he was very much appreciated. I think outside the game, you know that sort of you know sad sadly that sort of tag of sick note stuck with him and um, I think the point about him not being a glamorous player is a valid one as well sometimes you know uh, your face fits with the media and you know there was a lot of footballers around at the time who were sort of dominating front and back page headlines it was a time when the media went mad for Beckham and um, at that point as well there was also the Liverpool Spice Boys who you know, went on to, to, to be a bit of an infamous team, but yet you had the likes of Robbie Fowler and McManaman making headlines and stuff like that for not necessarily the right reasons. Whereas Anderson just seemed like a bit of a, a genuinely decent bloke who just wanted to get on with the game, and maybe there wasn't there wasn't enough there for them to to go off. So he kind of just got overlooked, despite the fact he was consistently quite a decent footballer for most of his time in the Premier League. So. I think there is that sort of element to it as well But I think if you ask most people who understand the game And and, and appreciate the game for what it is Darren Anderson is uh, a very, you know, very much appreciated As uh, the, the top footballer that he was
1: yep. I think that's a, a wonderful sentiment To close it out on Darren Anderson One of only two men in the world To have won the League Cup in '99 And be in the 90s Football Hall of Fame <laughs> Up next we've got a quiz This quiz is brought to you by Football Index. You can get a £20 bonus when you sign up for a new account. Just use the offer code FF20 when signing up. Now, this week's quiz, lads, is all about famous goal scorers of the 1990s. So you know the rules. I'll ask the question. You say your name to buzz in. Then you have 10 seconds to give an answer. And the best out of five is the winner. So are we ready? Yeah. Ready. Yep. Perfect. Question one. Last week, Jamie Vardy became the second Premier League player to reach 100 goals, Peter. After not oh, Peter.
0: Answers Ian rice.
1: Right. I'll finish the question. Became the second <laughs> Premier League player to reach 100 goals after not scoring before his 27th birthday. Who was the first player?
0: Ian Wright It is
1: indeed Ian Rice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's a one one nil to to Peter. Yeah, you're right on the you're right on the money.
0: And you know, you know. That's it. <laughs> I saw the tweet yesterday, Steve, so I just kind of knew where you were going
1: straight away. Oh, I, I didn't see it on a tweet. Anyway. Yeah, no. I,
0: I, I, uh, yeah, I was editing the...
1: I knew it off the top of my head. I'm just that.
0: <laughs> nope.
1: Right, question two. For which club did Ian Wright make the most league appearances in his career?
0: Peter. Ants.
1: Peter, go ahead. It
0: has to
1: be Arsenal, no? Ants, do you yeah. have an answer? I was going to say
2: Crystal Palace.
0: Really? I know he played like three, four seasons with, with, with Palace, no? And then like a decade at Arsenal.
1: So Ian Wright, he played seven seasons at Crystal Palace. Okay. He was there for a
0: while, yeah. He was there a long time, wasn't
2: he?
1: Made 225 league appearances. Okay. Uh, he also spent seven seasons at Arsenal and made 221 appearances. Oh, my correct answer is indeed Crystal Palace. He made overall more appearances at uh, Arsenal, but not league appearances.
0: Well, Premier League appearances. I went for Premier League appearances, Steve. So.
1: Oh, well, if you'd listened to the question carefully, Peter, you'd know I'd said league appearances. So, quizmaster, master as always. Listen to this
2: Manchester United behaviour going on in the background. There he should be dock points for that. Shocking.
1: Now, now, Ant. You've got, it's one all now, Right, right? Don't, don't uh, push it. <laughs> question three. Who scored more Premier League goals? Ian Wright or Dwight York?
0: Peter. Ant. Peter, go ahead. Dwight York.
1: Ian Wright scored 113 goals Dwight York scored 123 Dwight York is the correct answer scored many of them for Aston Villa and Man United of course Question 4 who scored more Premier League goals Dion Dublin or Emil Heskey
0: Peter Ant Peter go ahead Emil Heskey
1: Ant do you have an answer sorry you actually can't answer that because it's, it's one or the other so actually that's, that's I was nice.
2: going to say Dion Dublin yeah, I was, I was going to say Dion Dublin got more than Heskey surely
1: yeah Dion Dublin did He got 111. Emil Heskey got 110.
0: Ant loves Dion Dublin. He texts me every day asking me, can we do a house (laughs) about Dion
2: Dublin? I am a fanboy for Dion Dublin, not going to (laughs) lie.
1: So the score remains the same after that. It's uh, 2-1 to Peter. Question five. Who won the Golden Boot in 1990? 1990?
2: Ant. Go ahead, Ant. I'm gonna go a bit left of field and say Mark Hughes.
1: Mark why why would you What well, Mark Hughes? <laughs> Peter, do you have an answer? Uh,
0: nineteen ninety. I'll go with Ian Wright.
1: Uh Ian Wright is not the correct answer.
0: Ian Rush.
1: <laughs> no, I'll give you each ga and have another guess. Did, I did think you'll kick with, yourselves. With
2: <laughs>
0: Oh, oh, you oh, play with the year on, then i just trying to think who it was. Um... Can, I, can I have mine now?
1: Uh, yeah, give give your guess now. If you have a guess now, go ahead. Gary Lineker. Lineker.
0: Yeah, is it Lineker?
1: You don't have a guess, Aunt?
2: I, I would have said Lineker. Yeah, I would have. Oh, well, why didn't
1: you say Lineker then? <laughs> Lineker is the correct answer, uh, and that makes it three-one to Peter and our winner for this week. Yes. Uh, he he actually won the golden boot with three separate clubs. And he's the only player to do that, which is a, an interesting stat. So Leicester City in 85, Everton in 86, and then Spurs in 1990. So there's a bit of a trivia there. I probably could have used that for like another quiz. Grant, so that's the end of uh, this episode. If you enjoyed our show, uh, please take a moment to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at FootyFaithful underscore. And if you head to thefootballfaithful.com, you can get a lot more football content. Thanks a million for joining us, lads. Thank you, Peter
2: cheers lads and thank you Ant cheers lads I'm off to get a ladship nice one enjoy it's
1: coming for the coming home
2: it's coming